Welcome to the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. I'm your host, Benjamin Wargle, the Badgers beat reporter for the Rivals.com network, and we've got another full show for you today. Thanks, as always, for downloading and listening to the show wherever you are. We continue our Wisconsin Spring roster breakdown with a focus on the offensive line and the defensive line of the Badgers. These are two groups that are somewhat polar opposites at this point in time in April, as the Badgers' offensive line has a lot of returning experience across the unit, while the Badgers' defensive line needs to replace starting ends Isaiah Laudermilk and Garrett Rand. We'll break down each of those positions and play interviews with position coaches Joe Rudolph of the offensive line and Ross Kalaji of the defensive line later in the show. However, we start with the 2021 NFL Draft, which begins tonight with the first round, rounds two and three tomorrow on Friday, and the final four rounds on Saturday. Only 10 former Badgers have their names in the draft this year, and arguably the two most draftable players of the group appear to be cornerback Richard Wild Goose and offensive lineman Cole Van Lannen. Wild Goose has appeared anywhere from the third round to undrafted in mock drafts leading up to this weekend. The Miami Nays started 17 of the 25 games he played in over three seasons. Just two games last year, he declared for the NFL draft after suffering a season-ending shoulder surgery in Wisconsin's loss at Northwestern. Finished his career with 57 tackles, 15 passes defended, 5 TFLs, 2 fumble recoveries, and 1 interception. Van Land's draft stock has slipped a little bit over the last few seasons as his role went from part-time to full-time starter. Still, he played 45 games with 19 starts over the past four seasons, and like Wild Goose, his season ended prematurely with an injury that prevented him from playing against Minnesota and in the bowl game against Wake Forest. Van Land might get drafted just based on reputation alone. Since 2000, Wisconsin has produced 21 offensive linemen who have been selected in the NFL draft. That's the most of any FBS program. Alabama and Ohio State both have 20. They're the only programs to produce at least 20 offensive line picks during that span. Others who will likely go undrafted but still find their way to a NFL roster include fullback Mason Stockey, defensive end Isaiah Laudermilk, safety Eric Burrell, tailback Garrett Groshek, and long snapper Adam Bay, offensive lineman John Dietzen, receiver Adam Krumholtz, and receiver A.J. Taylor, who spent last year recovering from a leg injury, also worked out UW's Pro Day and will certainly be trying for an NFL opportunity as well. Keep in mind that at least one former Badgers player has been selected in every draft since 1979, a very impressive streak for the University of Wisconsin. And to kind of get a more in-depth look at some of these players and where they project in the NFL, maybe where they project in the NFL draft, welcome in Owen Reese, former offensive line GA of Whitewater, scouting assistant for uh, CGS, has his own podcast, been going down to Mobile for Shrine game stuff for a number of years. He knows his stuff, and so I welcome Owen in uh, to the podcast. And Owen, thanks for your time. This, this, I want to start with this. It's, it's been a weird year with COVID canceling uh, the NFL scouting combine in Indianapolis. Um, so there's kind of been a more premium on studying tape and certainly those those senior shrine games. How, what's the challenge this year? Put on your NFL executive hat for a minute. What, what do you kind of look at to evaluate players without these type of scouting combines like we've had in the past? Yeah, well, sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, but yeah, I think it, there's a, a lot of uh, I guess like a lack of confirmation really is a big part of it. Um, you know, obviously there's the NFL is taking very big investments in a lot of these kids, uh, multiple millions of dollars, and without having the, the combine, right, like which may seem fairly trivial, right, like, well, if you watch tape, you know how fast someone is or if you know they're strong or, or quick, whatever. But the big part of the scouting combine 
like the important stuff is the stuff that like isn't televised, right? So team interviews, uh, medical checks, being able to really just kind of dot your I's and cross your T's, triple check everything from a physical standpoint because you might have a scout come in. Um, we'll use Wisconsin, right? Hypothetically, we'll have a scout come in and they'll watch a player uh, and looks really good uh, as a junior, right? But then tears his ACL prior to his senior year. Someone like Jack Sitchie, right? Like, which it's, that's not this example, but that is kind of blended in here. So Jack Sitchie was seen as a junior and then tore his ACL, right? So, you know, going to the combine, that's a huge opportunity for these NFL teams to kind of double, triple check on him. Well, what, what's his weight like? You know, he's had shoulder issues. He tore his pec. What's that like? He, obviously, he's got the knee. So stuff like that. I think those are the parts that are going to make this more dicey for these teams. Uh, and, you know, like the, the potential of, you know, a team drafting a kid and he comes in and fails a physical, right? Like, well, that's something that would never be an issue before this. So I think that's the biggest hurdle. You know, obviously you are leaning more on tape study and, and evaluation uh, as far as grading the actual players and stuff. But I think the medical stuff and a lot of the off-the-field interview stuff has kind of been limited. I think that's going to be the biggest hurdle for these teams to kind of deal with. Um, you know, like I said, trying to move forward and, and it's an odd analogy, but invest in these players, you know, for their business. You bring up a good point because I wanted to, to segue into Rashard Wild Goose, who I I think might be the the highest drafted potential player for Wisconsin this draft. I mean, Wisconsin's looking at ten players who participated in their pro day: long snapper Adam Bay, safety Eric Burrell, offensive lineman John Dietzen, and Cole Van Lannen, running back Garrick Roshek. Wide receiver Adam Krumholtz, defensive lineman Isaiah Loudermilk, fullback Mason Stocky, wide receiver A.J. Taylor, who did not play last year, who's coming off an injury, and then obviously Wild Goose. And Wild Goose, you know, we saw him get injured against Northwestern. It was going to be a season-ending injury. He announced that he was declaring for the draft to focus on that. I think there was a lot of questions about where he was physically, and I think Pro Day, he had a pretty good showing, 4.41 on the 40, 7 seconds in the 3 cone, had a good broad jump and, and good vertical. Um, what do you think of, of Wild Goose, in my opinion, that he might be the highest drafted player of this 10 for Wisconsin this week? I think you're probably right, uh, and I think also, I think you'd be remiss to kind of mention, right, like that draft class, for lack of a better term, seems a bit light coming from a Power 5 school of Wisconsin mm-hmm. stature, but when you consider, I think Jake Ferguson went back, Noah Burks went back, um, you know, Caesar Williams, Fayon Hicks, a few guys, uh, Colin Wilder, guys that normally would have come out. Um, so I think that's, that's part of that. I, I do think, though, I agree uh, that the Rashad Wild Goose, I think, is probably the most talented kid, for sure. Um, my best, the best way I can maybe put this is Rashad Wild Goose is an SEC corner that ended up in the Big Ten. Uh, and, you know, was, was committed to Georgia first and decommitted and, and came to Wisconsin, right, which is is what it is. Uh, but stylistically, he wants to be in press coverage, up in your face, playing man-to-man, and the Badgers don't do a ton of that, right? They do some in the red zone, uh, but they play a ton of man with Jim Leonard, or excuse me, a ton of zone with Jim Leonard, uh, and that's something where it's just not, it's not like that, that Wild Goose can't do it. It's just not the ideal utilization of his skills. Um, you see a lot of that stuff on, like, bubble screens, right? Wild Goose is, is not always the most sure tackler, but he's certainly a willing one and willing to really torpedo himself in there, blow up a blocker, and maybe, you know, collect a uh, ball carrier on bubble screens, now screens, quick stuff like that. Um, and I think that's kind of more that mentality of the, like I said, maybe a, a poor 
way of wording it, but like an SEC corner, right? Like a bigger physical in your face, um, you know, very athletic and wants to rely upon it, uh, which isn't always the case for secondary guys in the Big Ten. So I kind of use that outside of Ohio State. So um, to me, I think he's a guy that uh, probably the fifth, sixth round is probably about right. Uh, he ended up leaving early, you mentioned, after the, the shoulder injury. I don't know. You know, he kind of mentioned in an interview that Jim Leonard had said that he thought that he was maybe on the cusp of being an NFL player. And then in the spring, or excuse me, in the fall, leading up to and in those first game or two, you know, maybe felt as though that he had taken the jump that Coach Leonard had expected for him to be a, a professional-level player. Um, so that's why, you know, led to a lot of his uh, decision-making into leaving for the draft. Um, you know, this it this whole year has kind of been funky, so I really don't blame anybody for taking any direction, for, uh, honestly. But um, he's a guy that I think has kind of gotten forgot about because he got hurt early in the year, right, was only able to play two games and kind of wasn't with the Badgers for most of their season. Uh, but he's a guy that uh, probably somewhere in that mid-day three, he'll come in and, and a team like the Patriots makes a lot of sense, right? Like a team like the Miami Dolphins, which he is a Miami native, um, you know, teams that are really reliant on man coverage. I think those are the type of guys. Um, I'd say Detroit, but they, you know, just fired their head coach. Um, Matt Patricia was a similar scheme. But teams like that are, to me, where he makes the most sense, where he can kind of, like I said, be best utilized with his strength um, more often than he was at Wisconsin. Yeah, I, I agree. It's always interesting, too, how a player – who is draft eligible approaches an injury. Um, you know, Wild Goose, I think, would have benefited from coming back. Um, you know, he didn't redshirt. And so there, there's a youth to him there. And certainly not having played a whole season and not really being able to showcase his skill set for a full degree, I think he decided that, man, I want to be, I want to play in the NFL. I just got hurt. I better strike now while the iron's hot before something else happens. And so he's going to take his chance. But like a guy like Colin Wilder, who was coming off a pretty darn good year last year, who has missed a lot of time over his career with the ACL and kind of coming back from that and transferring. He wanted to come back, and he just said uh, this week that this is a big year for him personally to kind of achieve those goals. So it's kind of interesting to see how, how players choose to do that. And then I think another thing is interesting, too, what a player coming off a poor year wants to do. And um, I'm segueing in here to Cole Van Landen, who I think if you would have asked me a couple of years ago, I said, oh, Cole Van Landen, he's a first round draft pick. I mean, he's going to be, you know, one of those lock, you know, top 50 picks. And now this year, I'm not so sure because I think the last two years, once he really took over the full-time left tackle job, you kind of see a little bit of a regression. You know, 2019, he was still pretty good, but, you know, his numbers start ticking back in terms of his success in run blocking and some certain some situations certainly his pass blocking took a step back and then you know, everyone remembers the Iowa game last year and just how he was just flat out outplayed throughout the course of that game and they didn't play the last two games so how do you kind of weigh Cole Van Landen in terms of his entire career or kind of what have you done for me lately and how that will impact him I think it all matters uh, I think you're probably more on the his earlier career stuff got him on the radar and like as you mentioned right he's probably not going to get picked where we thought he may have projected at one point. Um, you know, the, I think a lot of people lean back to the 2018 where he was the highest-rated pass blocker in, in college football, um, but he was playing half the snap, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and he, and he, while I understand that Wisconsin is a very upperclassman, respect-heavy, like if an underclassman and a senior are the same level, they're going to play the senior because they value the program and value those who stay. Like, I get that. But John Deason is objectively not a good left tackle. Um, and 
they he still wasn't able to like completely usurp Dietzen out of that, right? So I think to me, I think that was probably part of the he was a part time player and he did play well, right? Like I don't want to negate any of that or I don't want to um, kind of poo poo on that. But you're right as he as he continued, um, you don't always see like this really. Uh, maybe it was just because he looked more athletic compared to Dietzen at left tackle, right? But like and and Michael Deere before that. So again, like far from elite athletes on the edge, like Wisconsin fans are probably used to seeing, but um, he tested really well, and I never saw that level of an athlete as a player. Um, I think he's probably in that same area as Wild Goose, right, like a mid-day three somewhere. I actually think he may end up better kicked in at guard, um, which I, I, I know he's been training down in Texas with Duke Manyweather, uh, and I know that Duke does a ton of stuff with like cross-training and wants guys to know multiple positions uh, and train multiple positions. But I think that Van Landen's a guy who, like, the the sum of the, the player never became the sum of the tools. Or, you know, you see this big dude, and he's a big-time recruit, and he's a Wisconsin in-state kid, and he goes to Wisconsin. He was Paul Chris, like, first big recruit, um, you know, the head coach in, in the 2016 class and just kind of never completely came all the way around. Um, he's obviously a solid player. We're talking about him to be an NFL uh, draft um, consideration, right? So, like, I'm certainly not knocking him, but... Uh, I just never thought the, the play on the field ever quite matched what he was supposed to be on paper. Um, like I said, never quite played as, as athletic as he ended up testing. Um, and so I think that he's a guy that I think he'll be a good guy for a team, right? Like we're kind of seeing this with Michael Dieter now where he's always going to be like the next guy up, right? Like, and there's always the ability for that to change. But I think Cole Van Landen is going to be a, a good guy to be around the league for five or seven years and be – you can be your third inside offensive or interior offensive lineman, right, or your third guard. You can also play tackle. He can get you out of a game at tackle. He may never primarily play there, um, but his versatility and that athleticism will buy him time, um, maybe to continue to develop at the NFL level. And I think he will stick around for a little bit and have a nice career. Um, but you're right. I think certainly not the the hype that you know Wisconsin fans had or had maybe envisioned once they get this four star recruit from inside the state. That you know in 2018 has these big PFF numbers, and I think a lot of people probably had uh, illusions of grandeur, you know, out of the left tackle. But um, he's a solid player, and he'll be a solid pro. Um, probably just never quite reached the upside that you thought he would uh, as a Badger. Again, we're talking with Owen Reese, scouting assistant for the College Grand Showcase, also Reese Draft on Twitter. Uh, Owen, I mean, you look at Wild Goose and Van Lan, I think those are the two most draftable uh, prospects of these 10 Wisconsin Badgers. Uh, Give me someone else. Who else do you think has a has a chance to maybe be a, a late round pick? Uh, probably, if as far as like being a late round guy, I think Eric Burrell, uh, the safety, is probably your next best bet. Um, either he or Mason Stocky, if someone wants a fullback and really wants to secure that. But Burrell to me is a guy that's been really intriguing. Um, a very modest athlete, right? Like I think he ran four six four and. Um, just didn't blow anyone's doors off at the pro day, which is fine, right? And I think if you watch film, you'll say, like, well, he's not the most athletic guy, but he's a solid athlete. He's certainly not a liability. I don't know, kind of in the same thing, I don't really don't mean to dampen everyone's mood, but, like, I really see Eric Burrell as a guy who could be a potential third safety, maybe a fourth safety in the NFL, be a special team guy um, for a team that plays a lot of too high safety looks. Um, and I say that because of the athleticism. He's shown really nice instincts and the ability to play the ball while he's been at Wisconsin. Uh, he's been a very opportunistic uh, interceptor, right, which I think is, is a, a good thing. Um, not a ton of dropped interceptions, which is 
as a defensive guy, right, like it's, it's a good play, but when you miss those opportunities to take the ball away, that's huge. Um, and he's really been able to kind of convert on those. He's a very good tackler. He takes good uh, angles in run pursuit. He's a, he's a very instinctual player. He's just never going to be that high-level athlete. But I think for the right team and the right scheme, uh, like I said, a team that plays a lot of too high safeties to kind of protect those athletical limitations, um, you know, I think he's a guy that teams could really like. I think someone like Indianapolis Colts, right, like play more um, too high than any team in the league. He could be a guy. Chris Ballard, their GM, is a Madison alum, right, could be a guy that's a third or fourth safety, which is a rosterable player and a, a valuable special team guy um, and will, will be an important guy. Chris Maragos was essentially that same type of role, a former Badger that made his living as a special teamer uh, and as a depth secondary player as a safety, just never quite being like a prominent um, you know, contributor for an NFL team. Last one for you here, Owen, and kind of shifting maybe to the 2022 draft. You look at this Wisconsin roster now, assuming all the the junior, uh, the eligible juniors that are going to come out, um, that, that are draftable are going to come out, and certainly the seniors that are going to come out. Who do you think is Wisconsin's best uh, top prospects from an NFL standpoint looking ahead into the next draft? I think probably Jake Ferguson's the low-hanging fruit. Um, yep. You know, he would have been the top prospect this year as well had he come out. Uh, he's been a very good receiver his entire career um, at Madison. He's developed quite a bit as a blocker, right? But it's never it's, he's never going to make his money as this dominating blocker. He's been a very good receiver. Uh, he's been really solid that way. Um, and, and in the NFL, the way it's trending, right, like more 11 personnel, more flexed-out receivers through receiving tight ends. That's something that Jake or as Jake Ferguson has done quite a bit, really his entire career at Wisconsin. Um, they've been, I don't want to say limited formationally, uh, with him, you know, during these couple of years when they've had very little tight end depth, uh, but he's a guy that should have no issue transitioning to the NFL, being the third guy flexed out in a trips formation. Uh, he's a very dependable receiver, uh, and again, like I said, has the willingness to go in there and block, uh, maybe be an H back for an NFL team. So I think he's probably a guy that, with another strong year, he's probably in that third or fourth round range. Uh, doesn't have the super high end athleticism to really warrant anything much higher than that. I don't think I've been wrong before. Uh, but he's a guy to me that um, that third or fourth round, probably looking at the 2022 draft, is somewhere where he fits in there. Jack Sanborn, uh, the linebacker, would be another one, a similar type of guy. I think that it's never going to be like a freak athlete where, where that generally kind of propels guys up into those first or second round range. But Sanborn's going to be the, all of the typical Wisconsin linebacker narratives, right? He's instinctive, uh, he works hard, tackle machine, um, just around the ball constantly, right? Like, he's not a, a premier, premier athlete, uh, but he led the team in tackles two years ago, and he's been just a rock-solid presence taking over uh, after Chris Orr left, right, and kind of um, bringing along Leo Chanel as that second member of that partnership inside. So I think those are probably the two easy ones. One that really kind of does stick out to me as a potential guy. Uh, I've seen some attention for him um, on kind of under-the-radar stuff. or Like, I've seen him mentioned here and there by analysts. Uh, but Fayon Hicks, I think, is a guy, mm-hmm. too, that was another strong season in 2021. Could really propel himself to be a draftable player. Uh, I certainly don't want to have any, you know, create any, oh, could he be a, a high-round pick or, or anything. But I think he could be a guy that really works his way into a, a comfortable early to mid-day three defensive back. Um, certainly doesn't lack any of the tools to do so. Uh, and he'll be in his fourth year, really, as a big-time contributor in Madison. I think NFL teams are really like that. Um, one thing to keep in mind, though, for this entire upcoming class, right, so this current class is probably like 60, 
percent of the size of a normal recruiting or a normal draft class, just because we had so many guys go back, right, and utilize an extra year. And I think that um, there are guys that opted out this year that that decided to go back. I, next year will be like a class and a half worth of draftable players. So I think that next year, for Badger fans that are that, like want to forecast this, they'll have three or four guys probably that will get drafted or should definitely be on that radar. But like, there's going to be good players that don't get drafted next year because there's going to be an extra seven to eight hundred kids in a draft class. So I think that's another important thing. Like moving forward to next year, like if you hear stuff that's maybe not as generous or um, maybe not putting over the Badger players as much as you may think, that could be a, be a, a real reason why is that just out of like the sheer crowdedness of the draft class next year with so many kids coming out, I think that's something to consider as well. That's right in your wheelhouse, Owen. I'm sure you already have gotten started on those 2022 draft profiles, and you can find Owen's draft profiles. Follow him on Twitter at Reese Draft. He'll keep you all entertained throughout this week's NFL draft. Owen, thanks again for the time, my friend. We'll talk to you again soon. Absolutely, Ben. Thank you. You're listening to the BadgerBlitz.com podcast. Switching to the current Badger roster, offensive line coach Joe Rudolph, who is just going to be the offensive line coach this year, not going to be the offensive coordinator, not going to be calling plays. A little bit of a switch this year with John Budmeyer having left the program. Kind of Paul Chris is going to be taking over that play calling duty, but Joe Rudolph will still be involved, as will the other offensive coaches. And Joe has seen a lot of different incarnations of Wisconsin's offensive line since becoming its position coach in 2015. Groups that were short on depth, groups that were missing experience, and groups that, dare I say, lack sufficient talent to compete. But when breaking down the group of 17 players that he's had to work with this spring, the talent in the room stands out to him. One of the more talented groups he's had a chance to work with. And that bodes well for this team. And certainly you look at what Wisconsin has returning, four starters from the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, and the depth the coaching staff has created by hitting big on the recruiting trail over the past several cycles is allowing for plenty of position flexibility. An example of that is senior Tyler Beach, who started six games at right tackle in 2020, but worked at left tackle throughout spring with sophomore Logan Brown. Beach hasn't taken any reps on the left side in last year's pandemic-shortened season, but he practiced at both spots in 2019, and that's allowed him to transition to the other side with few side effects. And considering, too, he's a veteran with 34 games experience, he told reporters this spring, quote, personally, the biggest thing I learned from playing right tackle is getting the pace of the game. It was my first time playing, starting multiple games in a row, so just getting a feel for the conditioning that was required for that. With the consistency part, I feel like I've learned to be more consistent, end quote. Senior Josh Seltzner is working at left guard, and he's being backed up by junior Cormac Sampson, who was Wisconsin's number two center last season. Seltzner started three games at the spot, including the final two. He originally was starting in the opener, but got injured, and Wisconsin's offensive line hit such a groove that they just kind of ran with it, leaving Josh kind of being the odd man out. And the move of Sampson to guard was helped in part by senior Caden Lyles being fully recovered from an MCL tear tibia break that he suffered against Indiana and sophomore Tanner Bordellini stepping into that position the final two games of the regular season, and he is going to be serving as Lyle's backup, at least for now. And although senior Logan Bruss is the de facto leader of the position, considering his age and his 32 games, 25 start experience, Bruss is working at right tackle this spring of, and ahead of retro freshman Trey Wedig, 
a move that allows redshirt freshman Jack Nelson and junior Michael Fernie to work at right guard. Nelson and Wittig, both in-state prospects, were UW's two highest-ranked prospects from the 2020 recruiting class that rivals ranked 28th in the country. Rudolph adds that the third group includes junior freshman Riley Malman, uh, who, who enrolled early. He's working at both tackle spots. Redshirt freshman Ben Barton is working at guard. Redshirt freshman Dylan Bar- Barrett has also been at guard and center. And senior Blake Smithback is working as the number three center. Logan Brown, he's one of the more decorated high school offensive linemen to commit to Wisconsin in the last handful of years, probably going back to Josh Oglesby. Uh, He's slowly developing. He was sidelined his redshirt season with uh, shoulder and bicep injuries. He missed valuable time last spring when practices were canceled due to COVID. But Brown still managed to play in three games last season, got extended reps in the bowl game with Van Lannan being out. And the depth being cultivated now should pay dividends in the fall considering Wisconsin's line looks to be the strength of the offensive unit, bolstered further by having position flexibility and leadership. And those uh, who spoke to the media pointed to the soft-smoking Logan Bruss becoming kind of the vocal leader of the group. Here, though, is Joe Rudolph talking about his group and where he kind of perceives things shaking out over the course of this spring and certainly moving forward into the fall. Last season, before Caden got hurt, where do you think he was in terms of his development? And I apologize if you've been asked this, but is he full go and doing everything? And how does he look so far this spring? Yeah, I would say before um, last year, it was a probably a little bit more of um, survival mode. You know, going through what he went through in the off season from from surgeries and procedures. And he is one tough joker, man. Like like I said, I. There was only one guy that that came through that 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 was that was uh, Biotic Badger, and um, man, you know, for him to be able to do that without all the reps behind him, um, I thought was really uh, a credit to him and his perseverance, and and um, I, I think he is uh, taking a real step forward his health is much better his playing strength is better and now you know the the work is on trusting the technique and the details it's not about hey how can we do this to you know be okay on the rep you know and and um I, i've appreciated the way he's approached the spring joe you mentioned jack nelson and trey Wedig as a couple guys that are battling for time in the two deep what does each of those guys do well that has put them in position to contribute? And I'd also ask the same question about Logan Brown, since he's another young guy people are excited about. For sure. Um, each of them have, have uh, bring different things, as you suggest, and each one of them have certain things that they got to, that they need to overcome to kind of take that next step. So Jack, I'll start with him. Um, there is a physicality and explosiveness, a let it loose mentality that is infectious. And I think that's what is really pushing him into the opportunity. You know what I mean? And and his athleticism shows up because he's going a million miles an hour. And there's definitely some things from a standpoint of, of uh, technique, some fundamentals that he needs to clean up so that he can be consistent. Um, Trey Wedding, man, there's so there, there's a ton of things that he that he that shows up on tape that he does naturally for such a big person. The way that he steps off the ball, the way that he sets, just just some things that he makes look easy are surprising. And but the thing that he needs to do is kind of let it loose a little bit more, you know. And and I think that that'll be the area to, that that he needs to kind of show in these in these you know the last you know 
11 practices. And then for Logan, you know, it, it's just consistency. You know, it's, it's, it's the, uh, it, it's man does some things where you're like, wow, holy crap. Did you just, you know, that's man. And then there's some, and then there's an inconsistency of play that, you know, that, that you just can't afford to have. And so those are all different areas, but really excited about all three of them. And that's the battle we have together is to, is to take that next step. Joe, you mentioned Tyler Beach at left tackle. We've seen him at right tackle. What intangibles or traits does he have that he could play both spots? And, and what's making you put him out over on that left side of the line right now? Yeah, the number one thing is um, that he has is consistency. You know, he's a very consistent player. He's a smart player. He's detailed. Um, I've challenged him to be more of a let it loose guy, more explosive, you know, trying to be great rather than maybe trying not to be wrong. And um, I think he's got that in him, and it showed up a little bit in, in, the, in these practices. So I'm going to keep pushing that out of him. And then the really the reason was because uh, Brusser, um, settling in at the right tackle position. Um, I thought that would create really good competition at the left side. Russ is probably our most, um, you know, consistently um, consistent performer and yet still, ha- and still has a cut it loose, difference maker type of ability. So, um, you know, putting him in a spot where he can do just that was, uh, was an emphasis for this season. Joe, you just mentioned uh, Bruss. Is he kind of taking over the leadership role in that in the O line room? Um, I think he he leads by example. You know, I, I, he's definitely um, increased his uh, his voice. But when you watch him, um, you're kind of like, damn. You know, that dude is doing the stuff that I want to put on tape, and he's cutting it loose, and he's playing fast, and there's the detail. So I think he earns a voice through how he plays. But he's definitely not alone in the leadership. You know, like I feel feel really confident in this senior group from how they're committed to this program and how they're committed to the guys around them. So guys like Tyler Beach and guys like um, Caden Lyles, Josh Seltzner, like even even Blake Smith back in his own way, like he helps and leads and coaches. And, you know, it's it's a really awesome group that way. So. You know, I, I think together we'll all kind of push forward, but Bruss is, Bruss is definitely kind of the, the bell cow of the group. Joe, it's kind of tough in spring practices, but how have you seen those different combinations and guys moving across the line uh, affect the communication at all, or uh, if it has? Um, right now they've all been working together, so five guys in at a time. You know, so the communication's been really well, um, understanding each other, you know, just – just wanted to get those guys working together and feeling comfortable with who's next to them. Um, if as the spring goes, I feel like different mix of guys would be would be better. Then you know you have the ability to get to that. But the subbing has been more of five guys at a time going in and out. Again, Wisconsin offensive line coach Joe Rudolph. And while the combinations have been jumbled this spring, the batches will probably feel the best if Logan Brown can master that consistency to begin the season as the starting left tackle. That would mean from left to right, Josh Seltzner, Caden Lyles, Logan Bruss, and Tyler Beach would stay in the same position they played at most of last season. But if Brown remains inconsistent, UW will probably have the same faces, but in different places when they open the season against Penn State this September. One unit that is going to look different is Wisconsin's defensive line, which will have to replace multi-year stars Isaiah Laudermilk 
and Garrett Rand. With those two bookending the line last year, the Badgers finished with the number five rushing defense in the country, allowing just 96.1 yards per game. Now, Wisconsin does appear set at the nose tackle spot. Keanu Benton, Bryson Williams, and also now incoming freshman Mike Jarvis have been working at that spot throughout spring. Benton from Janesville, Wisconsin, has yet to miss a game in two seasons, and reserve nose tackle Williams, he has 26 games experience, is in a better position now to contribute after he missed most of 2019 with a knee injury and was overweight last season, kind of preventing him from really contributing. He tipped the scales at about 320 pounds last year, and Williams said that he dropped 60 pounds and gained good weight back to be around 285 and feels the best he has ever felt in his career, hoping to get around 295 when the season starts. And he says that he can help the team in any way he can. If that means being the nose tackle, that means moving to the end spot, he's ready to go. And that flexibility may come in handy if UW has trouble developing defensive ends. Now, Matt Henningsen is a fair bet to start at one end spot this this upcoming fall. He started against Michigan and played in the first two games last season until a left arm injury put him on the shelf. However, he has started 10 games in 2018 and another five in 2019. Uh, but the composition opposite him is kind of wide open. Isaiah Mullins played in all seven games and took on a bigger role as last season progressed. Cade McDonald and Gio Paz played a combined 27 snaps in the bullwind overweight Forest, a sign that those two are close to being reliable options. And Boyd Dietzen played 14 games in 2019 on special teams, but he didn't register a snap last season, making this spring having been a, a, a big 15 practices for him. And the same can be said for Rodas Johnson, who has yet to play in two years with the program. Now, the development of those players has been under the watchful eye of Ross Kalaji, who was hired from his role as lead strength and conditioning coach to his first assistant coaching job, after Noki Bruckenfield left for the same position at Vanderbilt. Now, the Badgers lack practice experience in their depth chart entering the spring, let alone game experience from a host of these young prospects. But as Kalaji told us at the beginning of spring, there's no reason for him to be concerned at all. You know, outside of Henningsen um, and Keanu, right, those are both two established starters. Isaiah's played, uh, Mullins has played in... Uh, in in many backup situations and roles but after that you know the game experience and even uh defensive two deep practice experience is is fairly limited so it is a young group um am i concerned absolutely not you know the guys are in the building for for a reason and we're confident in their talent their abilities and their work ethic to get where they need to be ultimately uh in terms of who stood out you know, I think um, Brodos Johnson has had a has has had an unbelievable first three practices. You know, his challenge is going to be can he maintain and continue to improve at that level. Um, Geo has flashed certainly with an ability to do some things up front as well. Um, you know, after that, you know, Mike Jarvis. You know, I think it's it's a lot for a young guy to come in and enroll in. And, and enroll early, uh, but uh, especially as a lineman, and then to have to compete and do it really in the two deep, um, you know, I think he's doing well as well. So um, really like the group in general. You know, I think guys are doing well and continuing to improve. Ross, when we talked to Leonard last week, he mentioned that 
in he estimated 70% of the time they were in nickel last year with just two down linemen. And I'm just curious about Keanu's role in that because of his athletic ability and explosiveness. How much mileage can you get out of him this year, whether it's on the nose in a three-man three front or in that nickel package? Yeah, well, I think even in our three-man front, you know, we do under spacing our alignment. So it, he's he has experience playing uh, more than just a zero nose. Uh, as you mentioned, he is tremendously gifted, athletic, strong. So um, I'm excited for him because it's a great opportunity for him to continue to develop his his tool set and his you know uh, his resume. Just with Henningsen, I know he was hurt most of last year, back to spring. Just how much is he playing catch up because of the injury, and just how is what have you seen from him in the off season in the spring thus far? Uh, zero catch up. He's a hundred percent. He's a genius, you know, academically. So, uh, and he's a freak show athletically. So, um, he's right at or maybe exceeding where where you hope he'd be at this time. Well, you mentioned Henningsen being a genius, and I wonder with his experience and just the, the smarts that he has, have you seen him starting to take some of these younger guys under his wing and try to catch them up to speed here in the spring session? Absolutely. You know, all, all winter long, especially with a guy like Jarvis coming in um, from from ground zero, you know, and, and that's on Jarvis as well to reach out and, and take advantage of that. But, um, and even for me initially, just, um, you know, I know I could go to him and get reliable information in terms of, you know, what, how, why things were the, the way they were. And, and um, you know, again, he's encyclopedic and photographic with his, his memory and recall. So a uh, great resource for all of us. I'll say, Ross, I, I know looking at the spring roster, they had Bryson Williams, you know, listed down to 280. Just how has he looked, uh, and, and where do you see him fitting in, not just maybe a nose guard or nose tackle, but do you think he has some position flexibility too? You know, obviously body weights fluctuate throughout the year, and um, position flexibility is what we're asking out of all these guys up front. So, uh, you know, he'll continue to learn and grow in the scheme, and, and as will everybody else up front. Ross, what's been the most significant transition you've had to make and going from the, the strength role to, to the role you've had now? And are there things you feel like you're doing to put your stamp on it that are maybe different in terms of terminology or anything else from what Noakes did? Biggest transition would be recruiting for sure. Uh, time and energy and having to get on social media. Um, in terms of different or you know, I'm a, I guess I'm a coach how I coach and how I was coached and not really concerned at all about the past or what was said or wasn't said, right? We're, it's all about moving forward and, and how we're going to do it and how really Jim wants to do it moving forward. Yeah, Ross, you, you mentioned his name before, but for Keanu Benton, what have you seen from him in the short time spring football um, and just how he's improved in his game, if he has at all? Yeah, Keanu's special. 
really special player and very fortunate to have him and excited to be able to coach and work with him. Uh, he's got great athleticism, uh, really good understanding of, of pressure and how to use his body and use blockers, uh, momentum and position against him. So um, really the guy has uh, an upside, you know, um, not many guys come through here with the talent and ability and the ceiling that he has. Yeah, Ross, you, you mentioned that Matt has basically zero catch-up coming off that injury. How much of that has to do with where he is physically, but also between the ears, his intelligence level, that he has such a grasp of whatever it is you guys need him to do? Well, it goes hand-in-hand hand a little bit, right? Anytime uh, you have especially a fairly significant injury, your attitude, your attitude and your approach and your rehab sets the groundwork and stage for your return to play and your investment through that process, staying connected, staying in the fold mentally, um, and then continuing to progress physically. So really hats off to him because, um, you know, he had a great winter um, strength and conditioning, put himself physically in position to, to step right into spring ball day one and not miss a beat. Now, the last time the Badgers played without Laudermilk and Rand for any great length of time was in 2018. Laudermilk was nursing a bad leg and Rand was out for the year with an Achilles injury. Both of these injuries suffered over the summer. And UW finished 29th in the country in total defense, the only season of the four defensive coordinator Jim Leonard hasn't had a top five defense, but 53rd nationally in rush defense. That was 155.1 yards per game that was a huge drop after giving up just 98.4 rushing yards per game the previous season the Badgers couldn't get creative with their defensive line Leonard primarily lined up in a nickel last season which is only two down offensive linemen but the success up front will determine how effective that veteran group of linebackers and defensive backs will be behind uh, that defensive line and those are the positions that we will be previewing here on next week's show for all the latest on Wisconsin football, basketball, and recruiting, log on to BadgerBlitz.com and follow me on Twitter at TheBadgerNation. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoyed our show. Good luck to all those former Badgers hoping to hear their name called this weekend and land an NFL opportunity. And good luck to you enjoying the last April weekend of the year. We'll talk to you again in May. Have a great weekend, everybody. And thanks again for listening and downloading the BadgerBlitz.com podcast.